Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today's another day for a fantastic interview. I've got straight from my home country, from Germany, I've got Katie Ressler with me. Uh, Katie is actually American, but I won't hold that against her. Um, but she is now living in the uh, beautiful Munich and she is intuitively empathetic, a highly sensitive person who has this beautiful quality, but of course, by wearing your, your heart on your sleeve, it can so easily get damaged. And that is especially true when it comes to grief, to loss. And we all go through that. And 2020 is, oh, it has its fair share of that for all of us. So I'm so, so, so glad that we can explore the issue of grief. And in fact, the issue how we often try to numb our grief and therefore never get around to actually deal with it uh, today with Katie. So Katie, thank you so much for coming onto my show. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to this discussion. <laughs> And it is the classic trauma, isn't it? It is, it is something that is so prevalent uh, because right now, 2020, I had this discussion yesterday with, a, with uh, one of my nurses. She said, you know what? From now on, our vocabulary is changing. You don't say, what the fuck anymore? You say, what a 2020? <laughs> so yes get the 2020 out of here <laughs> so and i think that will take on it is everyone else what we are talking about and so it is so easy to 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 feel tremendous upset and upheaval in your life and if you're anywhere close to where i've been as far as the availability of coping mechanisms, the emotional insights, etc. I was I was a I was an imbecile. I was a retard as far as that was concerned. I was unable to deal with my emotions, including grief, in any productive way. I used the bottle. And I was very good in that. Very, very good. So Katie, wow, what a topic today to tackle. But in fairness, when you were a young girl, I'm sure you didn't want to be a grief counselor. You didn't want to be a woman who is going out there and helping people to deal with the losses in their life. When you were a young girl, what did you want to be? I really wanted to work with dolphins. <laughs> I wanted to be a marine biologist. Excellent. What stopped you? You know, I'm not quite sure because I, I honestly started university um, going in as uh, studying physics with an emphasis in pre-med. So I knew I wanted to be a doctor, huh. but I don't know where I've always loved the sea. I'm an ocean baby. And so something, something switched and I decided I wasn't going to work with dolphins. I was going to be a doctor. And then after that first semester of physics, um, I realized those were not my people. I was too extroverted for them. And the psychology class I had was perfect. And so I found my, my calling in the psychology world. So it, yeah, as a child, it was, I think it was just the love of water and mm. sea life. Mm. And then you sort of realize, you know, there's other callings that you have. And isn't it, it's, that's the, the real story. And the, the beautiful stories among us, they are written by those who actually listen to that calling and follow, follow their hearts and then make a new, a new vision, a mission, and then create this reality that they never thought, wow. And you did that at an early stage. So you had this, this, this cool inkling there about uh, psychology and, and, and it is a beautiful field. And to actually learn at an, at an early stage something about, about how the mind works and how emotions drive us. Bloody hell, I could have done with that at the age of 16. 
and at any any age thereafter for that matter <laughs> okay i would love um that to, psychology needs to be a class from elementary school on not necessarily to study other people but to better understand ourselves i think so true i keep saying that again and again and again see that's a virtually every guest agrees with me on that so why the hell is it not out there why the hell oh why the 2020 is it not out there <laughs> exactly <laughs> okay <laughs> so you went into psychology but you're a young woman who wants to leave the mark on the world you don't necessarily go straight into the hard hard uh, topics there you probably think more positive am i right then I actually um, did marriage and family because I wanted to help couples not get divorced. So no. I didn't really go the easy route. <laughs> no. Okay, so from the word go. Okay. And having said that, having said that, how beautiful is that uh, for people to get clarity at the moment of, of, of fight and frustration, etc. So if you can actually help them see the truth, not just the individual stories, and then give them the opportunity to either make up or break up one way or the other, you, you provide resolution. So it's actually a beautiful, beautiful thing to do. You're helping people through hard times. So that was obviously through at a very early stage there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Uh, nice even at a young age, um, going through difficult times wasn't something that I ran from or was uncomfortable with. And I found I naturally, even as a kid was able to sit with other kids in their difficult times. It, it was really something that the more I thought about it in adulthood, I realized I had been fostering this ability for a really long time. Fantastic, fantastic. So you are a very uh, highly sensitive person there because obviously you, you pick up these vibes and you can play with them. So you not only are you, are you the, the sensitive person, but you're also the intellectual person who can link the two of them together which is beautiful and it's not so common to have, have this, this, this clarity in both levels, uh, which is cool. Uh, how did the story continue for you? So there you were, family and, and relationship counseling. Was the world good for you? Um, yeah, I mean, I think in general, the, the work that I started out doing was actually with teenagers because you, you go to school for one thing, but the work you find as a therapist in the beginning mm -hmm. during your residency, um, similar to kind of a, a doctor, you don't always get to be, do what you want to do. You get sort of the, the, the worst shifts in the, <laughs> the population that you're like, oh, I really don't want this. Um, and I worked with teenagers in a locked facility, so like a step down from prison Excellent. or a step up from group homes. Excellent. And it taught me so much, taught me so much, which really did help me to sit in couples therapy sessions when they would argue about things. I'd be like, this is nothing. Uh, uh, we work uh, with um, inner city DC boys <laughs> in the group therapy you learn about uncomfortability. You learn about aggression. So I was like, oh, you guys arguing, this is, this is nothing. It, it really trained me to be able to be more comfortable with the uncomfortable. And so it, it wasn't easy. It was a, a good two years of that where it was, it's hard to see kids and teens suffer to that degree, to struggle with addiction already. Yeah. And to know um, they didn't have healthy outlets, like we said, starting from a young age, they weren't born into privileged situations. And so me sitting with them and going, okay, you're 16. How can I start to shape your brain differently? How can I help you to see the world differently? How can I help you to not already be in fight or flight? Mm -hmm. was really a, a, a good challenge, I think. And so from there, I got licensed and I opened a private practice because I said, I would really like to choose my clients. I'd really like to choose who I work with. Um, I felt a deep calling with couples, of course, but also college students. I wanted that next level, the, the existential crisis of what do I do with my life? Mm. I like this, but I like this. What do I do? My parents uh, uh, want uh, to do uh, this. Uh, but, you know, that and and... I enjoyed sitting with them through that process. Um, so the beginning, I would say the, the first six years of me doing therapy was really 
figuring out where my, where my niche was and knowing the cool thing about being a therapist is you can kind of adjust and adapt and go, you know, the next two years, I really want to focus on this. Mm. We are constantly every year having to continue our education and can to keep our license. Mm. So it gives us the chance to really study more in certain areas or go, I'm ready to pivot. And I want to learn about this. Um, and so at the time, you know, I continued to do my couples therapy training and also work on some of those things of those existential, how do you find your purpose in life? How do you get motivated when you don't feel motivated? Um, and it was just a really, it, it was a really neat time in private practice as well. Another, you know, you learn a lot about yourself, about you being a business person yeah. and um, about other people. So true, so true. And wow, it is a beautiful growth. And that is something that so many people need. If I now compare Joe Average and compare your journey where you're already going through by that stage, probably 10 years of continual personal development, because everything you read, everything you listen to, every fight you observe, something goes Huh. Okay. So that's how they played out. Huh. I remember when I was with my boyfriend and I went <laughs> and <laughs> suddenly you think, oh, oops. <laughs> so yes, or in my case here, every every single interview I do, I, I listen and think, hmm, okay, I recognize myself here. <laughs> so there you go. So did you have from the word go, did you have supervision? Did you have and and it sounds stupid for those guys out there. Um, the the when you work so em, emotionally close to to clients or to patients, it's really really important that you debrief yourself and that you have someone with whom you can work. Um, I yeah. I did similar work. I didn't have that, and I paid a huge price for that. So therefore, your psychologists are far better set up for these kind of things normally. So did you have a good mentor there? Did you, did that work? Yeah, I had wonderful mentors. And then I also had um, a group of fellow counselors that we could case consult oh, nice. and kind of go, yeah. am I seeing this? You know, like, am I too deep into this and I'm not understanding it anymore? And yeah. um, that's extremely helpful. I, I love case consultation because as a therapist, to hear another therapist's point of view on the story that, you know, as you tell it from your point of view, it really opens your eyes because you're not emotionally attached to their story. You're contextually attached because mm. it's like, have you thought about this? And you're like, oh, I missed that. I missed that. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. Oh, no, that's brilliant. Brilliant. So here again, whilst there is the work-life balance, there's also the work-work balance um, in which you actually have to face-to-face -face work and then you have to whoa the deep breathing and the the dealing with the conflict and some aggression and emotions that are immediately there and sometimes that are washing over you and transferring a little bit onto you. Yeah, uh, naturally, yes. Oh goodness! So and again, that's something I, I spell that process out because for some of you out there, you have no idea what what we sort of do in, in as doctors and as, as psychologists, etc. So it's good for you to understand, but it's also good to see that that this is a natural way to deal with heavy duty work and situations. And then there are you guys out there who are living lives that where often there are there's a huge amount of confrontation and huge amount of of all kind of crap, let's call it what it is going on and and there you are you have no one to debrief there's no one to actually say hmm have you thought about that or look at that and whilst a boyfriend a good a good girlfriend so boyfriend, uh, whilst a, a a good close friend can be so powerful they are not equipped to feed back to you so therefore if you ever wonder, shit, there's so much shit going on in my life. How the hell do I get better? Well, the answer is probably to talk to someone like a psychologist or like a life coach or like someone who is trained 
in looking at you and not getting too invested in you. And because they're not in, not close friends, they can be honest. Whilst your best friend maybe might not necessarily be so honest. Maybe the honesty that you need. So just a thought out there. If you thought, hmm, this Katie person hmm, might be someone I get in touch with. <laughs> but so here you are. You've gone through a whole range of training. What ultimately changed your path? So you're now... Well this is how I end up in Germany, right? <laughs> this is how we make the shift. Um, during the time prior to private practice, I, I met my husband, who's German as well. Um, he was living in the States, working for a German company. And we always knew we would move here. And we had said, you know, I'd be around the time that kids came around because it made sense for them, their language development. So my oldest was two. I was pregnant with our second and we flew across the ocean, put all our things on a boat and said, okay, we're, we're moving to Germany. And so we, we moved to Munich four years ago. And that journey has been, um, you know, it's one I think will always, I'll look back and go, this is what has shaped and shifted me in so many different ways. And largely because we have cultural difference, we have, um, parenting differences um then you have personality differences <laughs> like i find um i don't blend very well with the german culture <laughs> i i i found my german friends but in general the i know the marching songs can be very very attractive after a while honestly <laughs> no i'm kidding stop it stop it they threw me out of germany because i can't clack my heels sorry i'm <laughs> No, 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 you're right, you're right. It is, there's a huge culture difference, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So we we transitioned here and it was me learning new healthcare system, new education system for my kids. Mm. Um, and I had already had taken some time off with my firstborn to be a stay-at-home mom. I sold my practice and just said, okay, I'll, I'll take some time to raise her. In the beginning, it was important for me to stay home. And so then with my second, I was like, okay, well, I'm here. I'll continue to stay home. And about five months into my second life, I was like, I need, I need to go back to work. I need to do something. And um, I started doing workshops locally in the city because I was noticing on these Facebook groups, these couples, these expat couples or bicultural couples were having ridiculous arguments about things. I call it ridiculous just because I, I could say like, but those are normal arguments because you have two different languages in your home. So of course you're messing up. But like, you know, of course, again, I could see objectively like, yeah, that makes total sense. That's normal. But they didn't know it as normal. It's his personality. It's her personality. I'm like, uh, you come from two different countries. Of yeah. course, you're going to have cultural differences that look like personality. <laughs> so I did workshops, um, the art of arguing, how, how to kid proof your marriage, um, how your personality affects your relationship. So you could understand really what was personality and what was cultural difference. Mm -hmm. And from there, my practice here, seeing couples opened up. And um, I loved it because it normalized what my marriage was. As you were saying, you go like, oh, you sit in session going like, oh, I've had that argument before too. Oh, that was a cultural difference. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes. And it's so easy. Oh. oh dear. My wife is English. Uh, I'm German. Please, please. Um, the amount of fights that we had. But then again, the amount of growth we have had because we learned from each other and we learned and we, even even at our worst, we were open to at least hear each other opposite stories. And we could figure out where it was a very personal thing versus, hey, this is my upbringing with maybe stricter English parents, and this is my up upbringing, and in a different system, hey, no surprise, we are clashing. It is what it is. So it's cool that you're there, that you're actually uh, helping couples to, to see what they're doing. Where did the grief come in? So the grief came in um, two, almost two years ago. We're coming up in a couple weeks on the two-year mark. My, my mother passed away in her sleep unexpectedly. In the USA. So, you know, I get the call at, it must've been like about 2.30 in the morning here. And 
it, it was one of those, um, it's like the shock and awe. You're like, wait, what? what? This is not how this is supposed to go. I, I'm, I'm a mom of young kids. Correct. I'm supposed to have my mom. You know, there was no warning. Oh, it's cancer or is this or that. And so walking that grief journey of, I live in a different country. So I'm, I'm not daily around our home that we lived in or around our friends or family. So I'm having to figure out grief in another country where I'm reminded because I can't call her every day and I'm used to talking to her every day. My, my kids are used to talking to her every day and helping little kids understand this person no longer exists here on earth. And then we, my husband and I had decided we'd already known we wanted to have a third baby. So um, as we ended 2018 like that, in 2019, that summer, we had our first miscarriage. And um, I actually went home to go and grieve with my family around her, my mom's birthday time and had the miscarriage while I was there during that time, um, which put me in the hospital. And it was just this time of like, what's, you know, what's going on? And then Christmas Eve last year, we had our second miscarriage. Um, and through that two-year, now we're coming up on two-year journey, I noticed that I had certain giftings that were almost strengthened by this sort of rite of passage is what I call it. I think when you do some type of healing work, we have our rites of passage that um, I say it's like us going through the fire because we want to come out with buckets of water because other people have to go through the fire too, but we can at least give them something to soothe and tools to cope because we've seen it. And our, our fire might feel differently. And of course it's very subjective, but it, it gives them more guidance that they're not alone and support. So the, the whole grief experience really started from doing this couples therapy. And then online, I was doing some courses to support moms and realizing when my mom died, I lost that steam because a lot of it was to solve my own parents' divorce when I was a teenager or to solve my mother and I's experience of being stay-at-home moms and feeling like we lost our identity and wanting to provide support. It was always to heal and fix a problem that I saw her go through or I went through with her in some way. And then when she was gone, it was like, well, that's gone. So what do I do now? I, the couples therapy was always, uh, continues to be a big part of my heart, but I recognized I, I got to have a choice now. It wasn't, I felt a need to fix the world because of what I had seen. Um, and then the grief came out because 2020 hit. And as we've said, grief showed up. And I, in the very beginning, I was like, does nobody see this as grief? Because I'm like, well, you know, I didn't have somebody who died, so it's not grief. I'm like, your whole world has changed. There's anticipatory grief. You don't know what tomorrow holds. This is grief. This is grief. You're irritable with your, your partner. You're yelling at your kids. You're crying randomly. This is grief. Yep. And people weren't able to claim it as so because they had a definition that was only linked to death. And, and many knew my story about my mom and slowly I've shared more and more about the miscarriages, but they thought like, oh, well, you, you just deal with loss and death. And I said, no, no, let's talk about what we've seen this year. And so I'm, I'm one of the things and the one, the book that I'm writing is about this new face of grief. Grief is not by definition anymore, just about death and loss. It is about changes. It's about rites of passage. Grief shows up when you go off to university and you no longer have your mom and dad or your mom taking care of things. And you're going like, I don't know anybody. I'm alone. Wait, I'm dependent on myself. Like there's grief in that. It shows up in good and bad situations. When we become parents, there's kind of this grief of like, my life isn't the way it was. Man, I miss getting in the car like that and <laughs> going really fast. And now I have to get someone else ready and I have to make sure I had the snacks and the water and whatever. Grief is actually a natural, normal part of life. We all go through, but we're afraid to claim it because it's like, oh, grief. And I, if there's anything I hope 2020 helps us be positive, let's look at that positive reframe of 2020 is to go, Hey, grief is real. 
and it's all around and we all experience it at some point, if not this year, for sure. And it's not something we have to run from, which is why we're talking about this reason people get into escape and an addictive nature of escaping it because they've lost their belief in themselves to get through it. And it has such a bad stigma to it because it's related to weakness Oh, crying or anger management issues. And it's like, (laughs) oh my gosh, we're all like, we all cry. We came out of the womb crying. This is a normal, healthy part of it. Why all of a sudden has it become this thing we have to, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm crying. Like, no, (laughs) this is a normal, healthy response. So that's where grief started and where grief is going with me is um, changing the way people see life challenges. I sometimes stay away from the word grief because people still associate it until I can push them to life challenges. Well, we get that term, right? Life challenges cause grief. Oh, oh, okay. I see what you mean. Then I can go, you have grief. Hmm. Oh, that's a cool take on life. And it's a beautiful take because grief counseling and the stages of grief and all that, there is actually a framework there. And suddenly you can offer a framework of help to people who feel helpless and hopeless and confused. So it is actually a wonderful, wonderful way forward. I like that a lot actually. I like gives it. a vocabulary, Correct. you know, even the phases give a vocabulary to yeah. us going, what is happening inside of us? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it is, uh, that's wonderful. I mean, talk us through what is actually, what are the classic stages of grief? So, because that is, that might be something that a lot of people actually don't know. And we might nowadays disagree about these, these stages that they really exist, but it's, it's a good mental kind of, mm, uh, introduce us. What does a, a typical description of grief looks like in those? Yeah. Well, I'll take it a step back and say this, the phases of grief or the stages of grief were created by Dr. Kubler Ross. For people who found out they were dying, not for the people who lost someone, but the person who found out I have terminal cancer. So these phases were mapped out for them. And then psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists started going like, wait, we're seeing these phases in clients in other ways. The ones who find out that their family member is dying or experience the death. And Dr. Kubler Ross says, you're right. Okay. Let's, you know, this is the phases of grief. But again, still associated with death. So now as we see these phases of grief, we have um, denial. I call this sort of, again, the shock and awe. Like, no, there's no way. This can't. You wake up tomorrow and it's going to be different. Um, I, at the one, the day before the one year mark of my mom's um, death, I would not go to sleep until like 1159 because I was like, if I don't go to sleep, it never happens. And here I am as a therapist. I know, you know, logically, but emotionally, I'm like, no, because then it, it never happened. It's like, it, you know, this is that child in us, that inner child that wants to prevent those people we love from being, you know, we don't want them to be gone. So we have this denial and it shows up. You don't go through a phase and be done. You come, you come back. It's part of this like cyclical process. So we have that, the shock and all, the denial. Um, you see this in teenagers a lot too, like, you know, especially if you're, the parents are divorcing or things, whatever, I'm, you know, that's not even happening. It's not even on my radar. It's denial. Then we have anger, that frustration, that irritability. Why is this happening? Why is it happening to me? We sometimes victimize ourselves. There's got to be someone to blame. Um, you know, who did this? Here's the conspiracy theories coming out right now. It's like, there has to be this, and, and it's our anger. And anger, as many of us know, is sort of like this iceberg where like deeper below is fear and sadness and loneliness, but anger shows up because it is an acceptable emotion as long as you don't harm someone or you know, take it out too, too 
heavily. Then we have bargaining. Well, if I'd only done this, this person would still be alive. If I'd only done this, this wouldn't have happened. And it's almost like we beat ourselves up. So we've gotten past this feeling of we need to blame other people. Now it's us. Mm. If I changed this, if I had done this, if I, and it's, you play through the story over and over and over. I would have known, I would have known, I would have known. It disrespects the fact that life is going to happen the way it's going to. And it helped, it makes us think we have more control than we actually do over just life circumstances. Mm. But we bargain, we bargain. Then we get into sadness. And for many, it shows up as depression because it's a very deep wallowing sadness. And we um, experience moments of crying, random times, sort of, you know, losing focus in the moment, almost daydreaming, but you're just in this deep sadness. Many don't get out of bed easily. They don't take care of themselves. This is kind of where self-care just gets down to the bottom. And you just feel this, yeah, it's a hole. It's a hole. And then we move into acceptance. And acceptance is the, I'm not okay with it, but it happened. You know, it's, it's not a, um, everything's beautiful and, you know, there's butterflies and unicorns now. It's like, this really sucks. But it is. It is what it is. Um, and now there is um, the next stage of grief that David Kessler has created, which is finding meaning, mm. which is why did this occur? What was the purpose in it? And he's very honest that not everybody finds their meaning, but it is such a crucial stage of the growth process in grief to say, this is what I'm going to take from this situation. And it's subjective. It's different for every person. You can have the same parent died for multiple kids and they each have their own purpose out of it, our own meaning. Um, and so those stages, I, as I shared, I was the day before the one year mark and I was back in denial. And months later, I was in sadness. You don't just, you know, one and done. I'm, oh, I've got through the anger stage, I'm out. <laughs> You know, and it's the same for if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, well, I found purpose already in the death of this person or in this major incident. I'm sorry, you'll have to go through the other phases. They show, they will. <laughs> so, it's such a wise word spoken there, isn't it? <laughs> and they don't come in sequence. In theory, they, they should all plan out, just like everything you think should play out. Well, guess what? Life disagrees with you <laughs> and there will be days when you're angry and the next day you're sad and, and completely resigned and the next day you suddenly think okay i understand why it all happened let's move on and then you try to move on and suddenly you find that there's a huge weight hanging on your ankle because you fate doesn't yet allow you to move on because there's still some work to be done and it is it is what it is you can't rush it. It is not something, hey, if I just do today anger, tomorrow I do uh, resentment, I, then the day after, we should be fine. That's right. By Friday, Friday lunchtime, shall we meet? Okay, I've got to be fine by then. I'll be nope. good. Yeah, exactly. Nah, nah. How long, how long, what are the figures out there? I'm not aware what is sort of a, a normal grief period how long do people take on average to get over a major loss a major change in their life so society will tell you um it should just be one year and you should right. be done right you know like anniversary you've gone through all the holidays and anniversaries you should be done um I would say, so minor adjustment, I call them minor adjustments. Some adjustments like, um, like I shared earlier, write a passage where you go off to university or something where there's a change, even a move. Typically six months to nine months is a normal where by the end of that nine months, you should start to kind of feel like, okay, you know, I may not love it here, but I'm getting a, a feel for things. Mm. Um, for major, it, it's years, but that's part of your grief journey. If you go on the journey and you, like you just said, like you just accept one day sad, 
next day angry, back to sad, you know, that this is normal. You're going to heal and work through it much easier than if you fight it, if you try to escape it, if you get angry at the process itself. Mm. But I'm, I've never sat down and really said, Here, here's what I think is a time time limit to it. I've always said grief integrates itself with you when you really go on that journey. So it just mm. becomes a part of you. You know, I expect 20 years from now, Christmas to come, and I have a moment where something reminds me of my mom and I cry. Mm. I would almost be like, I must not have really done that grief journey well if I don't. Because mm. part of that grief journey is the legacy and honoring and remembering mm. and that being normal and healthy. Mm. Um, so I would say if you are suffering and struggling, which goes back to that addiction to always escaping, then that is, that's a big you know, warning sign. You're not grieving. Mm. Mm. And, and then we're talking years. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And literally, or decades for that matter, or however long you drink, however long you try to escape with drugs. It is uh, like prescription medications uh, in the sense of now opiates. Let's say you have had a trauma, a, ma a motor vehicle accident. Let's say you have had you have been smashed up, yet you have actually been a very active person before. And now suddenly, all the, the dreams that you had, God forbid, you're in a wheelchair now. Uh, and wow. Now, there is the physical pain for which you take your pain medications. But they actually have this beautiful numbing effect because they not just treat your pain down there. They also treat the pain up there. Oh, how beautiful that is. Oh. I'm relaxed. It's beautiful. Yeah. Oh my God. They, oh my God. I have to face the reality. Uh, I'm in pain. There in you go. And that is sort of one of the big pitfalls. So suddenly there is the PTSD that is not treated. There is the grief that is not treated. There's all these negative emotions that are needing to play out, that are needing to be to to come out and be dealt with not once and for all but actually you start that journey of grief but you're actually not allowing yourself that with that please i do not say do not treat pain that's not what i'm saying if you're in pain you need you need help okay you need someone who can guide you with the right amount of painkillers the right types of painkillers etc so don't get me wrong there but you need to learn what you are doing in reality with your own emotions. Are you treating truly the pain in your knee or are you treating the pain in your soul? That's with pain medications. Now let's talk about alcohol. <laughs> there is no good excuse why you're drinking. Okay. So there is not, you can't say, oh, I drink because I've got knee, knee pain. Mm. No, sorry. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. Says, no, that's not how that works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so if you if you really get to know the the salesperson in your local liquor liquor shop really really well, and they already the moment you walk through the door, they already get the bottles out and pack them up for you. Alarm bells, okay? Alarm right. bells. <laughs> and. But I mean, let's take this a step backwards. Mm. When children trip and fall and scrape their knee, mm. what do we do to respond? Do we let them sit and cry and go, it's going to be okay? It's going to be... Do we give them, as we do in Germany, a gummy bear? Oh, here, have something. Oh, look at this video on my phone. Let me distract you. And I, so I have already started to see how quickly as adults to our kids, we show them they can't handle. You need distraction. You need food. You need that. Like, let me give you something. And we think we're just like making it better. But if you think about what that continues to non-verbally tell a child, huh. oh, there is pain in any form, food, drink, huh. get on my phone. Huh. Let me escape. Let me escape this feeling versus, ow, oh, that hurts. Let's sit with it. It's going to pass. We're just going to sit with this. 
you know, let's take deep breaths. So it's, it's been amazing to watch my kids go through their grief journey and to notice that they don't run from crying about their grandmother not being here. They don't, they ask questions openly. They, they have moments where like, I miss her. I wish she was at my birthday party. They're not trying to, to deflect because at no point did I say, oh, you feel that way. You know what? Let's go eat some ice cream. Oh, you feel that way? Let's not feel that way. Let me, let's do something else. I never tried to distract them from it. And then I started to notice um, their, my mother-in-law, their grandmother, when they have painful moments, she immediately goes to distraction. She immediately goes to food. And I was like, I noticed culturally, that's just a normal here. You go to the doctor, you get a shot, you get a gummy bear. And I was like, um, okay, like, thank you. They're happy. They'll want to come back to you. But what are we? What are we almost teaching? That's by a really, doing that. really, really, really good insight. Wow, I didn't click onto that, but of course, it is the modeling of behavior, and then we are surprised when down the line they resort to the stronger gummy bears, um, those ones that are laced with vodka, um, or uh, the the well, whatever you can get on the German market. Right. Market, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What do your uh, your in laws think about that? Have you discussed well, it with your in laws? It's something that we have said to them that hey, you know, they don't need food every time they're sad or hurting, and they don't need distractions every time they have a tantrum. Like allow that to happen. But I'm trying to rewrite their history as well and it's not always easy so we know consistency in our home is what's most important mm. and we can continue to reiterate to our family but that doesn't always you know that doesn't always get heard I've had really great conversations with my dad they see my dad maybe once a year currently not happening because we can't travel and he can't travel but I've said to him I know it's got to be hard to have boundaries with my daughters of like, no, no, stop. We're not doing that. Or to parent them as a grandparent when you only see them once a year. You don't want them to associate negative with you. You want to give them everything they want and all this uh, love. Yeah. However, I remind them he's part of shaping them. Mm. And so to, to know that, to have that balance, it's okay to tell them, no, they still know he loves them. <laughs> but that's his own story too, right? We all come with our own baggage, our own story, our own Absolutely. grief work. Absolutely. I have to give them the, everything they want. Actually, it's really good to say no because they feel safer with those boundaries. Yeah. 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 Oh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Oh, wow. You have got a lot of such beautiful insights into the shaping of our emotions and our responses to negative emotion so it's really the response to a negative emotion to pain ultimately because we, we drive on two things reward and pain so here you are having actually had a damn good look at pain in all the forms that it comes and under you have learned to understand how to deal with pain in such a way that is not self-destructive because, I mean, for crying out loud, the Bridget Jones diary, the film where Bridget Jones in the morning has two salad leaves and then a nice something at lunchtime and then the two kilogram ice, ice cream uh, tub at nighttime. Oh, that's, that's sort of us uh, in, in response to pain and emotions, etc. We, we treat ourselves, we treat ourselves to something. Yeah, mm -hmm. in reality, what we're doing is we are sabotaging ourselves left, right, and center. Oh, if you dear. look at marketing, you'll never look at commercials the same now. If you look at marketing, you're like, man, we're like all about staying away from that. You're like, this will make you happier. This will make uh, you feel better. Uh, this will improve your life. Instead of like, it's okay. It's okay to feel sad. There's nothing like that doesn't sell anything, does it? No, exactly. exactly. Oh man, yeah. I want to go buy that at the yeah. store. <laughs> but you're right, you're right. It is, but that is a journey. And this journey needs to be taken. And I tell you what, every addict, every alcoholic who goes into recovery 
and succeeds will have gone through such a journey. And every person who has actually dealt with grief and has worked through the topics, through the issues in their life, they will be such stronger people. They will be such different people. They will be, you feel it, you see it, you, there is a mana, there is a, an aura around people who have gone for this journey. It's nearly like a band of brothers. It's a, a band of sisters, a band of, band of, I don't know, something that sounds, sounds cool. Um, it is because yeah. <laughs> it is actually cool <laughs> because we have, we have done it. We have, yeah. we have actually the rite of passage. I think that's the most beautiful description I actually have heard and considered for these huge challenges because these huge challenges will happen to each and every single person on this world. Like it or yeah. lump it, 9 billion people will have exactly the same trials and tribulations. Okay, there will be uh, shades of gray there, but ultimately for each and every one of them, they will have their own unique challenges. And it is a rite of passage. And it is, it is okay to cry. It is okay to, to grieve and to go through these emotions. And I loved one sentence that I want to stress now. You say, it's okay. And now I rephrase that a bit. It is not okay to feel ashamed. It is not okay to feel guilt. It is not okay to take it all on your own shoulders and think it's all your fault. It is, it is, there might be some things that you could have done better. Yeah, they're cool. That applies to every single person of us. And yes, of course, you could have called mommy more often. Um, but life was busy. Okay. So, and it would have not changed the outcome. It would have not changed the end result. So it is those kind of things that you need to work through. And sometimes that can be so bloody hard. No one says it's an easy job. But that's why people like Katie are out there. That's why there are people who are good in that. They have often gone through these things themselves. And therefore, they know what the hell they are talking about. So if you feel, if you have now a tear running down your cheek, because you're actually just going through, or have just gone through something, and you're, you're deeply upset about it, and... Well, there might even some time might have passed and you still feel raw as on day one. Well, that that probably means something. So that probably means that you maybe need some help, that you want some help, that you want to be a better a better you. Because obviously right now you're still held back by by your emotions, by the negative emotions. So Katie, if people want to know more about you and get in touch with you because you rang a bell with them and, and, and they, they want to work with you. Uh, can they do that? And how do they go about that? Yeah. So right now for the, through the fall and winter time, I'm offering support groups because as we know, grief is prevalent in the holidays that come bring up a lot of uncertainty. How, how do I do this? How do I create boundaries with my family members? Um, I don't want to do as many things as we used to do. Um, so those support groups will be going on. You can find out about those on my website, katierustler.com. Um, and if you want to do private work with me, all you do is on there, there's a contact form and you can talk with me and we will see if our schedules align. Again, I'm in Germany and many times people, I work with people in the States and other countries. It's truly about what works for both of us so that you get the support you need. Mm -hmm. And if I'm unable to help, usually I can help you mm -hmm. find someone who is near you that can be of, of service in the same way. And a little sneaky preview into 2021, or maybe even the end of this mm -hmm. year, Katie is writing her book and is yes. working on it. So here you go. So hopefully soon you've got it in electronic form as well as in, in a real hard copy uh, where, where she explains her journey and, and her techniques 
to allow you to move forward. And that is so, so, so important because it is the trauma is really what makes us all try to escape the trauma and the grief and all the negative emotions. That is why we drink. That is, uh, it is, alcoholism is a problem of trauma, not of alcohol. And therefore, it is of such relevance. I mean, uh, Katie, I'm so pleased that you write your book. I've got my steps to sobriety out there. Guys, if you wanted to have a look, because I very much look into the reasons why we drink. So yes, there's a lot of things in about alcohol and there is sort of a systematic approach, how to get off the alcohol as the 12 steps based on the 12 steps of the AA. But it is about the trial and tribulations. That is what this book is really about. There are action plans in there for all these, these, these situations that will occur. The depression, the postnatal depression, the PTSD, the responses to trauma, uh, all these kind of things, there is, they will happen. Like it or lump it, they will happen. So you might as well try to learn a little bit about how to protect yourself or when it happens, how to deal with it. And that's what this is all about. Life is too short. And you know shit will hit you. So you might as well get a bit of an, an idea what what to do if it happens, or if indeed in this in this fact if grief plays a role, you you might as well have a a one-on-one -on -one with Katie and and look forward to her book so that you can, even if you don't want yet to approach that actively in a healing fashion with a with a healer with a psychologist with a with a life coach then then that's okay but then again hopefully so books like like uh, katie's will be a guide for you in the future katie it was such a beautiful interview thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge your insights and 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 opening my eyes to some aspects where i thought wow okay i didn't realize that and Thank you so, so much for coming on to my show. Thank you for having me. If there's one last parting word you could give to our viewers or listeners, or in fact, if you actually could go back in time and send a message back to your younger self, what would that message be? You are more capable than you realize. And that goes back to, in our childhood, we're often, you know, pushed away from being capable to handle what comes. Yeah. You are so much more capable than you realize. Oh, that's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. Katie Ressler, thank you so much for being on my show. And you guys out there, look after yourself. Hey, it's a beautiful life. Even if at the moment it doesn't look like it. So what the 2020 is going on here well, it is 2020. Okay. Look after yourself, guys. Bye. Dream on, dream on.